0: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look, delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Jessica Luther, freelance journalist and author in Austin, Texas. And on today's show, I'm joined by Amira Rose Davis, a traveler, birthday aficionado, and assistant professor of history and African-American studies at Penn State University. And Lindsay Gibbs, the creator of Power Plays, a no-bullshit newsletter about sexism and sport that arrives right into your inbox three days a week. Go sign up. Before we get going, I have a few things. First, thank you to everyone who participated in our giveaway for the Bend It Like Beckham, the musical tickets. Second. We were all devastated this week to hear about former guest and an early guest on Burn It All Down, Jen Ramos, who was in a terrible car accident a little while ago. Jen lost their husband, and they are still in the hospital with extensive injuries. We'll put a link to the GoFundMe set up by Jen's family in our show notes. Finally, I want to say thank you to our patrons who supported this podcast through our ongoing Patreon campaign, Make Burn It All Down Possible. We are forever and always grateful. If you'd like to become a patron, it's easy. Go to patreon.com slash burn it all down. On today's show, we are going to talk about our favorite athlete comeback stories. Before we get not one, but two interviews this week, Amira chats with former national team volleyball player and current TV analyst Salima Rockwell about the women's volleyball postseason and what to watch for. And then Lindsay interviews former U.S. women's national team soccer star Lori Lindsay about the outcome of the women's college cup, the biggest takeaways from this college women's soccer season, and the national team's evolution since she was on the 2011 World Cup squad. We'll cap off today's show by burning things that deserve to be burned, doing shoutouts to women who deserve shoutouts, and telling you what is good in our worlds. But first, Before we get into all of that, I wanted to catch up with y'all and see what sports you are watching these days. I feel like the intros there about the interviews might give a little bit away. (laughs) What have you guys been paying attention to? Amira, what have you been into? Yeah,
2: um, both the postseasons for um, the Women's College Cup in soccer, as well as college volleyball. I just got back from Penn State's game last night, which was exciting. As always, um, they're heading to the Sweet 16. And also hockey. The Bruins are playing well, unlike many other teams. And the Celtics are surprisingly playing well. And when those two teams are playing well, like every time I get a notification that a game is on, I tend to watch it. So I've been watching more hockey and NBA. Than I did say last year. <laughs>
1: oh, that's cool. Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you're probably watching the NFL.
2: Oh yeah. Well, not really. Can honestly no, because they're pissing me off. Like oh. they're not. Oh. I mean, the NFL always pissing off with the Patriots <sighs> particularly. Like have no offense, and it's like irritating. So I have been. I mean, part of it is that I've been traveling, so I have like just missed games. But for instance, last week I was at. Something that I didn't really need to be at, but I just like stayed and talked and occasionally checked the Patriots chat room on my phone, which was imploding. And <laughs> then not I funny. was just, I just good. At I
1: love it. your fandom Is in the team um, still
3: like ten and two or something?
2: Yeah, they're yeah, terrible. But they're, they're, doing
1: terrible.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but they're know, awful. Really they funky. can't throw the ball to anybody. <laughs> like, it's so okay, bad. I
3: can't. I can't even. I will say I have not been watching the NFL because I am just in deep deep and in my Panthers feelings are in
1: like free fall yeah right? and the
3: cam newton stuff and i'm Electro just so Brown. deep in my feelings how about are you it. feeling i'm just it's a lot i mean you know i did think it was football wise time for to move on and i understand kind of the logic of not wanting to do the coaching search like behind his back you know like in the same building so doing it at this point in the year, but it was hard. Like he is a really good guy in a sport where it can sometimes be hard to find like really great guys. And, you know, he's meant a lot to the team. He's been a lot to North Carolina. He's been with them for so long. And his exit was really classy and seeing the players talk about him and how much he meant to them, you know, the way he embraced Eric Reed. I mean, I, I realize. realized like Shereen always says, don't give cookies. But, you know, he really did. Like there was a, he, Jordan Rodriguez, who is a writer of The Athletic, had a story about how he has a constitution, like a pocket constitution in his office that he bought after signing Eric Reed so he could have like better conversations, you know, about everything. So that just like really, and like not in a, I'm tearing you down Eric Reedway, you know, in like, uh, like, let's, you know, I want to be better informed way. So just a really good guy. I'm going to miss him. I'm just, I'm going to be so mad if they trade Cam Newton, which seems to be like
2: what they're going to do. Well, I just okay, don't. because They're going to trade Tom Brady too. <laughs> so.
3: I just, do, I don't know if I can root for this team without Cam Newton right now. And that's I've been a Panthers fan since 96. So that's way before Cam Newton time. And I'm just having a really hard time with the Cam Newton stuff. So, but I am watching women's college basketball. I haven't gotten into men's college basketball yet, but I'll start to pay attention in January to my Tar Heels more. But this is kind of a time where I don't have much to watch on a regular basis. Like I don't feel too bad for not being daily involved in, in college basketball yet. Yeah, and since football not captivating me, I'm spending lots of time watching my my winter sport which is lifetime Christmas movies
2: yeah <laughs> Same. i've been thinking about both of you because i yeah. watched uh i watched yeah. noel on disney plus or whatever oh and i was like this is the type of shit my <laughs> yep. yeah but okay i've been yeah. watching I, mostly 90 day fiance because oh i watched that last night oh my gosh these people okay they're real.
3: Um, Did you see the guy whose whose religion was
2: aliens? <laughs> yes, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. She was just like shaking her head. He was like, "I believe in a higher civilization,
3: <laughs> like aliens." Like wow. aliens.
2: <laughs> and he needs to tell her about her credit card debt. I can't with this show, but like the way individual people use the power of the state and in interpersonal relationships, like oh my gosh, it stresses me out, but I can't look away. Oh, it's fascinating.
1: <laughs> That's okay, amazing. Sorry. Wow, we're gonna have to maybe do a segment about that. Oh my god,
2: <laughs> um, you speaking my language.
1: Because then I will have a like really good excuse to watch it. Yeah. Um, I will say, like, one of the reasons that I asked you guys is wanted to talk about this at the top of the show is because I haven't. I feel like I haven't been watching sports. I just, to, I mean, this time of year is so busy. But I will say, I will admit to, you, I almost never watch football. Everyone knows this. So I feel like I say it all the time. I. Watch, I like on purpose turned on the TV to watch the 49ers play the Baltimore Ravens mm. last weekend. Yeah, because Lamar. I had heard about Lamar Jackson and He's then so I good. knew the 49ers were doing well. And it was a spectacular game. It was a kind of football game that almost made me angry at football because I was like, I like this too much and I don't want to like this sport anymore. So, I mean, I had a blast watching that and. I don't want – no one to tell me anything about Lamar Jackson ever. I just want to watch him play football. It's <laughs> just <is> so fun. <laughs> and I, I'm so nervous and cynical <laughs> about the sport. All right. Well, great. That was all very fun. And now we're going to move on to the show. Amira, will you please get us started on
2: Comeback? Sure. So – you may remember a player by the name of Carmelo Anthony. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen Stay him mellow. right. <laughs> we haven't seen him play in the NBA since I guess November 2018, so over a year ago, um, where he, if you remember, was briefly on the Houston Rockets. And when I say brief, I mean like 10 games later, they both were like, nah, this isn't working. So he's been out of basketball for a year and many people wrote him off, decided his career is done. Um, Fans joked that the NBA was giving him a farewell tour. He just didn't realize it. But after a year, Carmelo Anthony has returned to basketball and Was If you were on Twitter when this was announced that he was joining the Trailblazers, there was lovely memes, a lot of joke, but I was thinking it was really interesting to have somebody who meant so much to the game now come back. He's a bit older, he's 35, he's dealt with some injuries, but he's back and he's on the Trailblazers in a non-guaranteed contract, and as much as... NBA heads want to sit and talk about what this means for the trailblazers or what this means for the NBA or what this means for Mella's legacy. All those are great questions, but we're not an NBA podcast. And instead, I want to talk to you about what other comebacks of people have been most inspiring to you or most fascinating. I think that athletes go through so much that we don't see, whether it's uh, mental health or physical uh, well-being or just other things in life that come up and we just kind of see when they pop back on the scene Um, and I would love to have a conversation about what those comebacks what have been some of those meaningful comebacks to you who's been your mellow
1: yeah that's a great question and I did the thing I always do in prepping for something like this where I just like Googling to find (laughs) lists of athletes so that I could like remind myself because I just am not the kind of brain where I can hold it all. And one of the things that was really almost terrible was like I would find these lists and it would have these athletes and multiple of them would have like YouTube videos and they that had warnings on them: warning, graphic injury, you know. And I was like, oh my gosh! And so one that I was going to just start with was Paul George since we're on the NBA because every time that he came up, it was like warning, warning, because he had this like, amazing, you know, 2013, 2014 for the Indiana Pacers, they went back to back Eastern Conference Finals. And then he just had this like really kind of freak weird injury where he stepped wrong on during a scrimmage for the FIBA Basketball World Cup. And just like, his need. I I didn't watch the video, and I'm not going to try to describe it. But it's just described everywhere is absolutely horrific and he missed almost the entire 2014-2015 season because of it and then returned in like all-star form in 2015-2016 and I just I find these kind of injuries to be amazing like I think about James Blake and tennis had that freak thing where he like fell and hit what like the back of his head on the post that holds the net and had to take a bunch of time off and it was I found it just incredibly inspiring when he was just to be back on the court, right when these people have these kind of real shitty, freaky accidents while they're doing the sport that they do, so that that's where I was gonna start how about How about you, Lindsay? Yeah, I agree
3: i first of all, I don't know how you like mentally after suffering something so fluky on the court and so traumatic, how you just go back because there's like no guarantee that uh-huh. it won't happen again. And I just mentally, that is not the only reason I'm not a pro athlete, but my goodness. <laughs> like, I just cannot even imagine the trauma uh, that is involved in this. I mean, I always think about skiers. I feel like every skier has obviously just had like these traumatic crashes. And, you know, we think about like what Lindsey Vaughn did, you know, come coming back and having to miss the 2014 Olympics and then, you know, coming back and being able to ski in 2018 and, you know, stuff like that is always really inspiring to me, but maybe it's because I, you know, I was trying to come up with a lot of stories for women's sports because a lot of these lists just exclude women's sports entirely. (laughs) Um, But you know, a lot of them do involve pregnancy and, you know, women taking time off for pregnancy and then coming back. I mean, Kim Clijsters is, is of course, the, you know, predominant example of seeing her come back from her first pregnancy and come back and win the U.S. Open and like her second tournament back. <laughs> and I mean, that's a type of comeback that we'll never see ever. Again, like that was just that was otherworldly, but it was still incredibly inspirational. I mean, I'll never forget, you know, I was in my you know, early mid twenties and the and not even thinking about kids at all at that time in my life. And then at the you know, but seeing her with her daughter out there, you know, celebrating the US Open Win with Jada, like I was just like, wow, this is this is emotional. And you, you we've seen lots of great examples in basketball, of course, of women having you know, giving birth and coming back well. Dwana Bonner just did it amazingly and you know, after having twins, like that, a year after having twins. Heads, the bobbleheads
2: she heads. was
3: the, the yeah, she was on the all star team a year after having twins, like that is uh, that's ridiculous, of course, Candace Parker did it and became m v p again. And so there's a lot of, a lot of examples there. And then of course we have Serena. I mean, we, we have to talk about Serena, her first comeback where she had the, um, you know, she had had these kind of back to back things where she had like stepped on glass and slit her foot at a restaurant. And then she had had the blood clot. And then she came back after that and won so many majors. And now, of course, she's having another comeback after having a baby. So uh, it's- I'm almost it's- dying. In almost dying that time. Yeah. I mean, she's twice almost yeah. died and then come back yeah. to make grandson finals. That's like, that's that's
2: mind boggling. We should also shout out Mira. Venus. I was saying Venus. Yeah. Yes. Like, a lot of times. Yes. Like, yes. Uh, like, to think about the rain that both of them have had, but also knowing that Venus is doing it with Syndrome, I, I can never say it. Shogren's syndrome. It's wild. I mean, it is. So when Lindsay was talking about pregnancy and women's sports, it made me think of one of the people historically that I always think about. It's so interesting because it's actually kind of the reverse. So we all know the story of Wilma Rudolph. And usually when she's brought up, it's about how she overcame childhood polio. And that was certainly true and amazing. I mean, this is a girl who didn't walk till she was 12 and at 15 wins her first Olympic medal. But... (laughs) Yeah, I know. So, 15, she wins her first Olympic medal. But what we really know her for is her three gold medals in the 1960 Olympics in Rome. What is lesser known about her is that just a year and some change before that, she actually secretly gave birth to a child as a senior in high school. So, it's this interesting thing where a lot of people, you know, the narrative that the press spun at the time about Wilma Rudolph was. You know she overcame childhood polio, and I'm always thinking like, and she secretly had a baby and was literally like eighteen like a year out from childhood. She missed the Pan Am games leading up to the she missed the fifty nine Pan Am games and when asked about why she wasn't there, like her coach, everybody was like, "Oh, she just has the flu,
1: oh my gosh, and,
2: you know she she <laughs> hell
1: of a flu, <laughs> yeah, exactly,
2: <laughs> wow. a nine month flu with a with an adorable baby girl at the end of it, so yeah, I think about that when I also think about comebacks. I think, of course, of, like, comebacks that have been dramatized, like Bethany Hamilton. So if you've seen Soul Surfer, Bethany Hamilton survived a a shark attack in 20, uh, oh, in 2003, uh, and where her left arm was bitten off entirely. And she was back on the board in three weeks. And she, a year later, became national champion again in surfing. And that's extraordinary um, and has, she's worked to give a lot of visibility to, you know, differently abled people in sport. And I, I find that really captivating. And then I also think about some of the comebacks that we don't see exactly. We have some sense of it. I mean, I'm thinking a lot here of Allie Krieger and a lot of people talked about Allie Krieger's essentially almost two year absence from the national team. And many people were surprised when she was named to this uh, World Cup roster. And a lot of the narrative about her was set in comebacks over injuries, her ACL, her MCL, and just age and time away from the sport. But she shared, and there's a good Tribune article that she's written about this as well, called I'm Good Right Now. But when she's back at Penn State, she also relayed this story. When she was a college player here at Penn State, she had... Uh, had a really frightening knee injury um that took her out of the season and but she was still traveling with the team and one night she was feeling really out of breath and she had been feeling kind of fatigued and she couldn't even make it across the room without needing to sit down and so she decided to go into get it looked at because she was like I'm in shape this shouldn't be happening and it turns out that she had blood clots that had traveled from her injury and they had worked their way up to her heart and she had a pulmonary embolism and the doctor said, you know, if she hadn't come in that night, if she had just decided to go to bed instead, she probably wouldn't have woken up. And so she was up here at the hospital here and ended up being comforted by her coach, the surgeon, the AD, the medical staff on the team and the dean of the school who basically surrounded her because they weren't sure she was going to make it through the night. And I think about that. And I think about some of these less visible comebacks, whether they're medical or personal issues in lives that we don't necessarily even see that aren't rendered visible. And I think about how this story, she's only starting to tell it because of her return to the national team.
1: Yeah. I wanted to mention one of my favorite people to talk about, all the time, anytime, uh, I will have a conversation with you about this guy, Ricky Williams, who I find endlessly fascinating. And I interviewed for an article a few years, like, I don't even know when 2013. It was a long time ago now. And he's such a character. I mean, he's just like an interesting person to think about. And he's an interesting thinker himself. But he played for the University of Texas, there's a giant statue, they have this new like Hall of Fame kind of thing in the stadium here. And I swear it's like a 12-foot statue of Ricky Williams. He won the Heisman, incredible running back, drafted fifth in the 1999 NFL draft to the New Orleans Saints. He kind of bounced around. He always had trouble. Um, He didn't like to do interviews. He would wear his helmet during them. He had, my understanding was like intense social anxiety. And he was very good in his first go around with the NFL, but then he started failing drug tests. And just and then retired instead of dealing with the suspensions from them and there's a really great 30 for 30 about him called run ricky run where the like film director followed him to i want to say australia i'm trying to remember out of memory but then he came back after this like huge break and one of the things i love about run ricky run is that they have these like These two shots were the first time when he retires, like people are burning his jersey. They're so angry at him. And they find, I want to say the same people because Ricky comes back and he is great. He has a thousand yard. I mean, he becomes a thousand yard running back for the Dolphins in 2009. He's 32 years old. And the same people are in the the parking lot of the stadium cheering for him, right? Like the exact same people. And so I just find him such an interesting... They people didn't know what to make of him. He was confusing. Um, He wasn't letting them in. He starts failing drug tests. We have all these feelings about that. And then he disappears. He comes back. He's amazing. And everyone's like, forgiven. <laughs> and I just find everything about that to be so interesting. And then you, I just feel like we can't have a conversation about comebacks in sport if we don't mention Monica Sellis. I mean, she was a remarkably amazing tennis player in the early 1990s. I mean, she was young, she was winning all these grand slams. And then there was this horrific, I watched it again. I don't know why I felt like like punishing myself almost, but um, on April 30th, nineteen ninety three, 1993, excuse me, she was sitting courtside at a tennis match and a man just came up through the stands behind her and stabbed her in the back with a nine inch long knife. And you don't actually see the attack in the video that exists because uh, they had cut away, but you hear her yell and it's a horrible sound and then she just kind of stumbles around on court she's grabbing her back and then she just falls down and then they go to take care of her it took her 2 years to come back and she was never quite the same player i mean she was such a remarkable player to begin with that to like return with that that level would have been amazing am- you know r- ridiculous no matter what but she did like she won a fourth australian open in 1996 after coming back and everything about that it just like takes my breath away just to even think about going through, you know, we talk about freak injuries in sport and like coming back, but like to be stabbed on court where you play. There's a whole nother level of security now in tennis because of Monica Seles so and what happened to her. Um, that's why it's such a big deal now when someone runs onto the court. So, in any anyway, sport, I just, yeah. In any sport, yes, mm-hmm. of course. And so, Lindsay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's – what's interesting about comebacks is
3: the wide range, right? Like, we started with, like, honestly, compared to most of these stories, the Carmelo story is nothing. Right, (laughs) right. Because, you know, we kind of started with a more, like, nobody believes in me comeback, do you know what I mean? Versus, like, am I too old? Versus, like, all these epic comebacks from injuries or, you know, childbirth or things like that. But I think that's the crazy thing about sports is how – kind of no matter what is keeping you off the court or off of, you know, being your best, it's it's equally hard to, to get back, right? And so like everybody's journey, like there's there can be appreciation in everyone's journey. You know, I, I think about the Mystics and some of the comeback stories that were on that team this year that won the WNBA championship. I feel like you could write a comeback narrative for pretty much everybody on that team, right? Based on little or big. I mean, you had Deladon's just comebacks just from within the series, you know, of coming back. You know, just from within the season, within the series of coming back from her injuries to play in that. And you have her whole arc of coming back from burnout. You know, when she she stopped, she went to UConn, was there for two days and left. And... Um, And, you know, spent her freshman year of college playing volleyball at the University of Delaware before going back to basketball. And even then, she played at Delaware. She didn't play at one of the big schools. And, you know, and she has Lyme disease and, you know, just you name it. Like she's had to come back from it. You had Latoya Sanders, who I think is like one of the best stories in sports, period. I mean, she's spent... 5 years about away from the WNBA. Her she had injuries and then her dad died and she wanted to spend her summers with her family and taking care of her family and everybody had forgotten about her and you know coach Tebow Hatton the Mystics had the rights to her still and you know for the contract and she returned and then when she returned She had anemia. So like all last season, she gets she's diagnosed with anemia and she's getting like blood transfusions every single day and going through all this. And then this year, she's the starting center on the WNBA championship team. So, you know, all those little stories, like they just feel like in sports, like everybody, like it takes such perseverance to be an elite athlete. There's so many stories. I do have to mention, you know, now I'm kind of completely switching gears, but I know he's a controversial topic here. But Tiger Woods comeback story is. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's I was a great thinking about comeback him too. Story. Like, it really is. I mean, he's had so many back surgeries and he didn't win anything for 10 years. And then he wins the Masters. I mean, that's, that's, that's inspiring.
2: Yeah,
1: it's incredible. Amira.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. I want to mention different types of comebacks just to wrap it up. Because I think one of the things you see with these stories is – that there's so much work that goes on to returning to form or trying to get back on the court. And sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes you don't return. But I think that it's really important to think about how you can make a comeback in life, in reinvention, whatever it is. And while we were doing this, while I was looking at all these injuries, I I couldn't help thinking about my good friend and my best friend's husband, um, Brandon Hughes, who had a six-year career in the NFL. And, that last year of his career was injury plagued, as you know many are, uh, including a really freak injury where he just, it was a standard kind of pile up in practice the day before the season started. And when he came up, his hand was shattered. And for many months there, we just didn't know what was next or what his body would allow him to do. And it had been a fight and a struggle, and he ended up retiring. But he said, the first year after that, he said, my body's never felt better. And him and my best friend opened a gym in Lower Bucks County in Fairless Hills, Levittown area, called Fuel House, which now is one of the most successful gyms there. And every time I watch how far that gym has grown and how he's reinvented himself and moved to the next chapter of his life – and training other athletes and training people to pursue professional sports or collegiate sports um or just get back in shape after having a baby or whatever it is i think that that's its own type of comeback so i think that even in your own life if you're at a moment of crossroads or you're overcoming adversity or you're you know moving to through a hard transition to a next chapter every time i get a newsletter from lindsay from powerplays i think that this is you know a wonderful you know, new chapter and comeback of sorts. So I just want to shout out everybody who's staging their own personal comebacks in their lives. And even if we don't ever see you return to a professional form on a court or get back in the NBA like Melo, I'm constantly in awe by watching the perseverance
1: of others. Up first, Amir's interview with Salima Rockwell about NCAA volleyball.
2: It is now my immense pleasure to chat with Salima Rockwell. Salima Rockwell is volleyball royalty. She had a standout career here at Penn State, also coached for Penn State and down in Texas with the Longhorns. She now is calling games for Longhorns Network, the Big Ten Network. She works with ESPN and other affiliates in her first year of calling volleyball games. And so as we look to the Sweet 16, I thought of nobody else who would be better equipped to take us through what's been happening in the world of volleyball and what to watch for um, this coming weekend. So Salima, welcome to Burn It All Down. Thank
0: you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here.
2: Yes, so we can just dive right in um, for Folks who weren't watching last weekend, um, there were upsets, there's um immense parody in the world of volleyball right now. Um, there's some surprises entering the Sweet 16. What what were you watching last weekend? What stood out to you? What games should we have been watching if we missed them?
0: Oh man, it was it was crazy last weekend and it was um an interesting round of volleyball. First two rounds of volleyball, and I think. It's just a testament to how how much the sport has grown and how good so many teams are now. They're they're young players that are not just being recruited by the traditional top teams, the Stanfords, the Penn States, and Texas, and Nebraska's, And now um, a lot of these mid-majors and just programs that you haven't necessarily heard of are doing well and, and making it to the tournament and doing well in the first and second rounds. You know the first. Uh, you know one of the, one of the ones that stands out is San Diego. Um, San Diego played Washington State, which is a an absolute brutal first round matchup. Uh, San Diego won um, in four center, but it was it was a good match to watch. I knew it was going to be a tough one moving forward, uh, but a huge one early on. And there were some. There were just some real battles. I think the last. I could talk about all of them, quite frankly. <laughs> In the the second round, um, I'll I'll get to the most interesting one last. But so Creighton takes Minnesota to five. It was an absolute barn burner. And, uh, you know, I think everyone thought it could be a battle. Maybe there could, you know, maybe Creighton could take a set. But it it was all but over. I mean, they were absolutely taking it to Minnesota. And Minnesota pulled it out at the last minute and ended up winning in five. So super exciting match there. Um, the other, the other match that, uh, was a similar, similar situation. Um, well, first of all, I'll talk about the pit Cincinnati. Mm. So came in, you know, as one of the top teams all season, now, Their RPI, they were top, you know, three to four RPI all year top ranked in the top, top five all year long. Um, a lot of people were expecting them to potentially host a regional and get the four seed. They ended up at the six seed, but still one of the top teams. And Cincinnati, <laughs> Cincinnati came in and, and won uh, a complete surprise, upset, interesting, crazy match. At, you know, I think the craziest thing, a lot of people may not know that Jordan Thompson, who's their, their big main player, she played on the U.S. national team this summer. Uh, was playing in the opposite position and and man when I saw her play I was like she's she's gonna be one of the best opposites this country's ever mm. seen. So, yeah, big gun in Jordan Thompson for Cincinnati. They have other pieces and they have more balance, but I mean she can she can and did take over uh, that match.
2: Yeah. So now it is set up a very interesting slate of games for the Sweet 16. And I guess we can start with Cincinnati and looking at the Stanford Regional. So the Stanford Regional part of the bracket, for those who don't know, will feature Utah versus number three Stanford number uh, Stanford obviously is hosting this side of the bracket and then also we'll see since that Cincinnati in action versus uh, Penn State who is currently ranked number 11 so obviously we can start with that match first um, I know that a lot of people were anticipating another Pitt Penn State showdown um, as we've talked about earlier in the pod Pitt upset Penn State here at home here because I'm sitting in you know, <laughs> sitting at campus <laughs> right now, but um, Pitt came into Penn State into recall Hall and beat them there for the first time in like a ridiculous number of years. Um, so I think many people were looking forward to a Penn State Pitt matchup. Instead, they have Cincinnati versus Penn State. So perhaps that's a good place to start with what we're looking at in Sweet Sixteen weekend. When you look at the Stanford regional, what do you think about that Cincinnati Penn State matchup? And 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 should Stanford be worried at all about Utah? Right. Well, I think, first of all, the uh,
0: Penn State, uh, you know, Russ Rose, everybody knows, you know, he's been there forever. He knows what he's doing. He's a smart coach. And he also knows that he should be concerned about Cincinnati. That was a huge win. They're Mm -hmm. playing really well. Um, Again, they have one of the best players like the country has has seen. And um, and a team that's well coached by Molly Alvey. Like they are their team that you need to be prepared for. Penn State, I think, you know, certainly has the edge with experience with um, the number of players they have on the court right now that are um, playing at a high level. Um, if they are, if Penn State passes well and they're able to get the ball to the middles early and often, they can, they'll win. You know, they can be successful. That's kind of been their formula to success all year is establishing that they are two uh, big middles in Serena Gray and, and Caitlin Horde and then being able to distribute the ball to the pins to get them a little bit more one-on-one uh, that's where they'll have success. So I think, I think Cincinnati, you know, Jordan Thompson goes off and she can and <laughs> we will in some level, you know, I think containing her, bringing her to like normal human numbers, <laughs> be able to, you know, to keep them under control, so I, I I give the edge to Penn State in this. Um, just knowing what I know about both programs, certainly not saying that there couldn't be a, an upset, but I think it's going to be an interesting one to match to watch. Uh, an interesting match to watch, you know. Yeah,
2: and shout out to Kendall White, who of course set uh, the career records here at Penn State for digs. Um, it was a great celebration on Saturday night. Um, yes. I wanted to shout her out. So yeah, so that game is happening at 8 p.m. on Friday, December 13th. Now the later game in that region is of course Utah versus Stanford. Stanford's the host. Do you anticipate them having any problems with this matchup? Uh,
0: you know, I I do. Utah mm. is playing well right now. I um you know, I, I watched last match. I I thought I wasn't sure what was gonna happen in that match, Utah BYU. I you know, it could have gone either way, but I I thought. Um, I was surprised at how handily they beat BYU. It was kind of scary. So in my opinion, I think Utah's playing at a really high level. They can give Stanford an absolute battle and um, that they need to be prepared. I, I still think Stanford, in my opinion, is still the best all-around team in the country this mm. year. Right now, um, But I don't think Stanford can take Utah lightly at all because they're –
2: They're playing at a super high level. Awesome. So let's move to the region where you're located in Austin. Um, We have Louisville taking on number two, Texas at four. And then Florida, um, who's ranked 10, will see Minnesota, who's seven. So that looks like a very tough matchup. Um, for Minnesota. But we can start with Louisville and Texas. Texas has had a phenomenal year. Um, and obviously you've had a front row seat to a lot of that. What are your thoughts heading into this game?
0: Well, it's interesting. The, the one thing I didn't mention about last weekend, you, uh, Texas ended up going five with uh, UC Santa Barbara, Barbara, who was unbelievable last weekend. Um, just running this fast, crazy offense. Texas was able to pull it out and win that match. So I think you know, it was huge for Texas to be able to toughen up and, and win those last two sets, but it's also showed some of their vulnerabilities. So um, I think with the Texas-Louisville match, Louisville lost one of their top players um, in a mid-season, actually their, their top attacker, and struggled a little bit right after, but they figured it out. They found a way to start winning again and playing at a high level. But Texas, in my opinion, they have they have more firepower from every single position at the net than any team in the country. They have more terminal attackers, and that's trouble. That's trouble for teams. They can be overwhelming, overpowering. So I think Louisville's going to play play them tough. Uh, I'm not sure if they have enough to, to overcome Texas. Mm. And
2: so then as we turn to Florida and Minnesota, this looks to be um, just it to me has five sets written all over it.
0: Yes. I would agree with you. Uh, here's the one thing though, that some people may or may not know Thayer Hall, who is Florida's top outside hitter. Um, she didn't play in the first two rounds at all. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know. I'm not even going to speculate, but did not play in the first round, did not play in the second round. So that's a question mark for this weekend. Um, that could be an interesting, you know, determination of what happens in this match against Minnesota. But all things being equal, everyone healthy and playing, this is going to be an absolute battle. Which so Minnesota lost their setter early in the season. They've been running all kinds of crazy offense, six-two, trying to piece stuff together while still winning. And now their setter's back. She's playing well. That's allowed their all-American. Uh, opposite Stephanie Samity to be playing at a high level, very, very polished right now, looking very good. So Florida with Sarah Hall, with Rachel Kramer, um, their setter, Montere. I mean, they have so many great pieces. So I think it's going to be a battle at the net between two powerhouses. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm giving the edge to Minnie, um. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's what I'm thinking. If both teams are healthy, it's going to be, I agree with you, a five-step battle. It's going to be a fun one to watch this weekend.
2: Yes. So now we jump over to Madison. Um, Texas A&M 13 is at Wisconsin. That's the two o'clock game. And then Hawaii will uh, face off against Nebraska number five at four thirty. that Texas A&M and the Wisconsin game. What are your thoughts on that one?
0: Well, Texas A&M has been on a roll and playing well. And, and Coach, Coach Bird has done an amazing job with this this team. And it's been fun. Like, I've seen them evolve over the course of the season and just continue to get better. They have one of the best athletes, one of the best outsides in the country in Holland Hands, And so she can, she can disrupt some things with her serve. She's got one of the toughest jump serves I've seen. And she can just go off at the net. They have some other attackers, too, um, that are good. Uh, their their Libros, really, really good. So I think it's going to, I think they're going to push Wisconsin, but as with Stanford, I think Wisconsin is one of the most balanced and even teams that I've seen this season as far mm. as two pins that are good, uh, both middles that are elite, uh, their setter that's elite, The you know, so it's going to be a, a tall order for AM to upset Wisconsin. Um, I think they can push them. I definitely think they can push them. It's going to be a fun match to watch, but I, I'm giving the edge to Wisconsin there.
2: Right. And then Hawaii versus Nebraska. I have to say, as somebody who researches uh, the University of Hawaii's volleyball team in the 70s, it mm-hmm. has been so tremendous to watch this program um, have a run that we haven't really seen from them since like 2015, um, it's really great. Their their season has been really spectacular. Um, so I'm just thrilled that they're here in the Sweet 16 and now they're facing Nebraska. Um, what are your thoughts about how they're gonna fare versus Nebraska?
0: Well, I, I echo all of your comments because Robin Amal has done just a fantastic job with recruiting. And getting the team back, getting it where she wants it to be. They're playing tough right now. Some very good volleyball, obviously winning the conference. She was the region coach of the year. I mean, they're doing some amazing things in Hawaii. And um, they were missing their top outside hitter, uh, Julie Rasmussen, for almost the whole season. I think since September. She's now back, um, which is even more exciting for them because they've been doing well without her. And to have her back in the mix, I think just gives them another another edge. Uh, Nebraska Nebraska has been playing at a pretty high level, at a good level, and they've been doing well. You know, obviously we've seen them throughout the Big Ten season and what they've done. Um, I think Jazz Sweet is kind of the X factor for them. She's been playing extremely well on the opposite. Um, obviously, uh, Lauren Stiverns, she's their All American middle. Lexi's son. So they have firepower and they have players that are good enough to win. I think you can never count Nebraska out. They're well coached. Uh, they always come prepared. They're always, um, you know, playing at a high level towards the end of the season, peaking at the right time. Um, tough one here. Um, hey, I think it's going to happen potentially with the experience, um, recent experience. Nebraska gets the edge, but I think this could this could go the difference as well distance as well. I think this is going to be a a long five setter.
2: Uh, I can't wait for this weekend. So uh, we end in Waco, which I mean I just have to say this part of Texas is yeah. seeing a lot of volleyball action. Um, yeah. You know, certainly it's been a standout year for the Baylor Bears. We'll get to them in a second. But the first match uh, – well, actually, they play at 2.30. So the Kentucky-Washington match is the 2.30 match on Friday. Um, Kentucky ranked number nine, Washington ranked number eight. Is this going to be as even-keeled as it seems
0: like it will be on paper? I actually think it will be. I do. And, and that's – I was going to say that not just because they're eight nine, nine – I mean, that's kind of where I, in my head all season had them both um, because of what they have, because, you know, Washington has, um, you know, their, their top outside hitter uh, and, you know, Kentucky has Edmund and, and their setter and Hilly. And I think it's a pretty evenly match. I think this might be, this might be the most exciting match, like the most. I think of all the ones that could go to the distance, I think this will. Um, And I think I'm, I'm anxious to see who's going to win it. I'm not sure. (laughs) Toss up. Yeah, Toss up. Maybe a little Kentucky edge, but.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And then that leads us to the 12 o'clock game. Um, Purdue number 16 versus Baylor. Now, We've talked about it before on the pod. Baylor is on a historic historic run for their program. They hit the number 1 spot um A in the tournament but also just for the first time they won the Big 12 title for the first time. They beat the Longhorns for the first time since 2001. They took down Hawaii, Wisconsin, Creighton. Uh it's I mean Yasiana Presley is beyond phenomenal. It's been uh a storybook run for the ages for this Baylor team. Do they continue that on Friday?
0: It has been. And, you know, it's, I think even in the middle of the season, people were wondering, you know, are they really number one? You know, have they they earned it? They earned what they've done, you know, in the non-conference. They earned those wins. I I called a couple of those matches playing at a high level. and, And then after, I think, beating Texas at home, everyone's like, okay, they're legit. Like this is this is no joke, which has been kind of fun to see. And they have continued to get better. They went they were in a little bit of a lull, I think, in that middle to last third, you know, third of the Big Twelve season. They were winning, but not you know, Presley's numbers weren't as good as they were. But they look healthy. They look she looks like the Energizer Bunny. She will never stop jumping, and it's like she gets higher towards the end of the match. So um, they're playing well. They're playing at a high level. Purdue, okay. So Purdue, I've seen them play super well. They're a scary team. They're a big. Mm. Team. They have a lot of good pieces, and Blake Muller and um, Grace Cleveland. I mean, you could kind of go around the horn. They're big, physical. They can block balls. Can they talk, Can they touch Presley? That'll be a question. Can they slow her down a little bit um, enough to you know make a difference? Here's the other X factor as with all these teams that are at home. I, I, I saw the Baylor match when they played Texas, having that many fans and in that environment is tough. Not that Purdue's not used to it because they play in the big 10, but having that behind you and um, at your back, I think, you know, I, I think that gives them the edge and, and they're just playing so well right now, but Purdue Produce a scary team. They can win. The, they can absolutely win this match. You know, on a neutral site, I might think a little bit different. I'm not sure, but uh, being at home, you know, I'm giving Baylor the edge. Ah. Uh.
4: Yeah. We're in for
2: a good weekend. So I, I have to ask you two quick questions before I let you go. One, uh, we've talked about the, some of the parody that we've seen, especially in the women's game over over the years, but this year particularly, um, it's a testament to that. The other observation I have when I watch women's college ball is how many women of color seem to be entering the sport, and I and I've talked about it before on the podcast and in other places. That volleyball is one of the fastest growing sports for Black women in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to know, within your experience, do you see that trend? Are you are you noticing a difference from when you were playing to now in the terms of the number of women of color on the
0: court? Absolutely, I am. I mean, when I when I played, I could I could almost name them. You know, I could name. Who on the national team? I could name who else in the country that was an African American playing volleyball. And now it's it's just become so much more popular and it's growing as a sport in general. So you're seeing a lot of people shift from even basketball or sports that they have been playing, traditional sports, um, to over to volleyball. And it's it's been it's been huge. It's been great for. The community, it's great for young players to see their heroes. Oh, wow, she can play volleyball, so I can play volleyball. And that's, that's it. It's just about some of that representation allows other people to say, wow, I can do this. This isn't a sport that's reserved for the rich white um, community. Um, it can be played by other other people, other races. And you're definitely seeing that growth um, in, in the game. I mean, you go through all these teams, playing this weekend, I mean, you could just go through each roster and all the starting lineups, you're going to see two or three or half, you know, even potentially on some of these teams. So I think it's it's great for the sport. It's great for um, diversity. It's great for everybody. It, 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 it helps, um, again, just young girls that are looking up. You know, we, we just saw all of these uh, Miss America and Miss Universe and Miss Teen, you know, there's so much going on. And when when young girls say – Hey! Wow! I can do this too. You're gonna just continue to have that growth within the sport.
2: Yeah, it's tremendous. Mm-hmm. And my last question to be, So you've now, you know, been a part of the game as a player, as a coach, and now you're calling the game. Is it? Is it different this way? Is it? Like,
0: how are you adjusting to it? It's. It's. You know, what's interesting? Like I miss it. I miss. Mm. I miss being in it. I love the season. I love. The, uh, I just the competition, but being able to still kind of scout teams, watch teams being involved and not having a dog in the fight and not being stressed about who's going to win. is kind of (laughs) nice. That's different, but I also like, uh, just being connected to all the people that I know in, in volleyball. Like that's been pretty cool. Um, getting on calls or conference calls before match and having people, just know who I am, know they can trust me when they have conversations or speak freely about their team has been uh, kind of cool. And I've built some relationships that I've, I, I didn't have maybe just as a peer before, but now, you know, uh, just having this type of communication with a lot of these coaches has been pretty cool. So I'm, I'm enjoying watching more volleyball, having the time to watch volleyball outside of my own little world. Um has been pretty cool and seeing more of the country and seeing a broader, you know, scale of volleyball. Has been pretty cool. So I and I I enjoy it. Um that awesome. yeah. that's awesome. What games will you be calling this weekend? So I'm doing all the games in the Austin region. So I'm doing the Texas Louisville match and then the Minnesota Florida match on Friday and then on Saturday the winners. So
2: Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, you guys can all catch on um, the matches. They're on ESPNW and ESPN3. Um, and then the regional finals will all happen on Saturday at 4, 6, 8, and 10, all times Eastern. And that will be featured on ESPNU. Check out the Austin Regional to hear Salima's uh, call of the matches. Uh, Salima, I can't thank you enough for coming on Burn It All Down. Um, and best of luck in the suit 16.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
1: Next, Lindsay's interview with Lori Lindsay about NCAA soccer.
3: Hi, everyone. Lindsay here, here with Lori Lindsay, (laughs) U.S. (laughs) Women's National Team player and current broadcaster extraordinaire for the NWSL, MLS, everywhere, right, Lori? Now I keep wanting to call you Lindsay.
4: because (laughs) It's going to be confusing for everybody. Yeah, that's correct. That's awesome.
3: (laughs) That's great. Well, thank you so much for being on Burn It All Down. We have been dying to have you on, so I'm glad we were able to make up an excuse for it. Yeah,
4: thanks for having me. This is wonderful. I love your podcast. That's so cool to hear. So first of all, let's start off
3: by talking about this uh, soccer cup that we had over the weekend. We had Stanford take down my Tar Heels. (laughs) Your Tar Heels. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm from North Carolina. I didn't go there, but I grew up a big Tar Heel fan, so. Um, But they took them down in penalty kicks. It was a pretty excruciating game to watch. It was very physical, very Mm -hmm. tense till the very end. And at the end of the day, it was Kate Meyer, goalie star for Stanford, literally zipping her mouth turning the lock and throwing it away <laughs> <Which is laughs> to awesome. shun the haters. <laughs> I think we all instantly became fans of hers. <laughs> it was pretty hard.
4: What were your thoughts from, from that game? Any surprises? You know, no surprises really. I mean, I think it's exactly what I expect from two of the top teams, probably the two best teams, arguably in the country matching up and, and, going into that game, you knew that it was going to be North Carolina with the, the subbing that they do and the disruptive type play. Um, they were going to try to make it difficult for Stanford. And Stanford knew that. And they did. I mean, credit to North Carolina. They they made it difficult. And I think in the second, it wasn't until the second half where we started to see Stanford stringing some possession together and started to kind of take control of the game. But North Carolina, you know, just holding in strong and then forcing the penalty kicks. But I love the Kate Meyer. (laughs) That's exactly what i see. And I was reading something, and I agree with this when I was watching the game last night, but I was reading something this morning that, you know, typically we see those, the finals at like midday on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it was an 8.30 start time for the East Coast and just more of a night game, I think gave it like a little, I'm going to use the word pizzazz, but (laughs) I don't know if that's the right word, but a little something more, right? To the excitement of the game and then the quality of the game, I think that you see in my opinion, the elevation of the women's game on all levels. So one of the more exciting finals I've seen. Yeah, and it was so cool because... Yeah, the
3: production value was really high, which is unfortunately not something we got throughout the tournament. I was disappointed kind of throughout the tournament as a whole. Um, It was hard to find some of the broadcasts, and some of them, like I remember seeing a really great goal that you couldn't really see because there was like a tent in the way. (laughs) This is like this is like the second or third round. Like it's like this should not be happening. Yeah, uh, in the 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 NCAA.
4: After the conference plays, it's a little bit difficult because you're in the midst of like basketball has started. For college basketball, you have college football starting to get in the nitty-gritty of their season. So it's tough. And so not all the games are the highest of quality leading up to the College Cup. So, But, yeah, the the broadcast I thought was fabulous between Jen and Julie and everybody behind the scenes. So I don't know. I really enjoyed it, and I think it it really just showed – again the elevation and then again showing the personalities that are starting to come out on the women's side right with kate and like meyer and goal making the huge save and then showing her personality and like we gotta honor that that's amazing yeah. i love it i'm like and of course there's always gonna be people out there like oh it's this it's like
3: no this is amazing this is exactly what you want to see anytime you're making the men mad you know you're doing something right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anytime I wake up and there's an argument about sports ladylike behavior, I know that yes. somebody's done something. Like my,
4: favorite. <laughs> uh, my favorite, I mean, this is a whole nother discussion, but my favorite is when I was doing Sirius XM stuff for the World Cup. And after the first game against Thailand, it was like all men calling in about how many goals we scored and how the behavior was just obnoxious. And I'm like, yeah, OK, let's get let's let's stop having the men call in. OK, let's yeah. need to hear any more of your opinions. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Plenty. No, literally nobody asked you. (laughs) I'm like, that's enough. Okay. (laughs) So from this, what were your kind of, I guess, I know you did some broadcasting for the ACC right? Uh this season? What were your big kind of takeaways from this college season besides Stanford's win at the end? And are there any players that, you know, you have your eye on for the next level?
4: Well, I mean, I guess my take, well, it'll be exciting because there's quite a few actually starting today going into our women's national team. Blacko, Inunoski just called in a number of players that um, weren't on the World Cup team. and, And there, I think if I remember correctly, there's 10 players going in from the from the college ranks, so oh, I which, the, which is massive, yes. Yeah, so some will fly right from that Stanford UNC game. In particular, I think you're starting to see, and not from all teams, right, because it's a it's a short season, so I don't think it gives like the best picture of where the games headed. But you're starting to see some sophistic- more sophistication amongst the players, and particularly some more sophistication. Okay, so my biggest let me back up. My biggest takeaways would be tactically, which yeah. I don't know if anybody wants to hear, but uh, of course we do. <laughs> Doctor, <laughs> so, but would be there's more sophistication and there's not enough s- sophistication, and okay. I think it highlighted okay. So we're starting to see some teams really wanting to play, um, depending on kind of like what college you go to, right, and what they what they focus on. But you're starting to see some teams play, some players' personalities come out in that. And then I think uh, particularly in the ACC, what we found was possession-oriented teams. But because of that, if the teams, the bottom half couldn't keep up with that, they would just sit back and we don't have enough sophistication to be able to break that down. And going forward to the next level, that's something I think that we need to focus on which I do think Blackco can actually will be a huge piece of that from his tactical understanding is getting these players sophistication and just tactical knowledge to the next level because as you start to see I mean this is a whole nother argument but of whether or not people think the rest of the world is catching up I personally do it's not just like hey not just talking about our full Nash teams there is like some need that we need that teams other countries have caught up or are already there. And so we're going to need that piece of sophistication as the years go on quite frankly. Yeah,
3: and that's been a criticism of the Tar Heels throughout the years, right? That they are a more physical type of play. It's not as, you know, maybe it's focused on skill as a lot of people would, would like. And I think some people were seeing that for the first time in the game last oh, night. So and with some of those calls or non-calls, as we saw, the people were like, what is this sport? This looks very <laughs> different.
4: <laughs> well, I, um, yeah, I called a number of the North Carolina games. And, you know, there's, there's one thing about it is that consistently every year – they show up and credit to Anson in terms of getting the most out of his players, whether you like their style or not. And that was one thing that we constantly discussed with him on the, on broadcast called was like, okay, what is up with the subbing? Right. This is like everybody (laughs) off. (laughs) Everybody gets minutes. Yeah. (laughs) All the players I recruit and like, okay, you can't argue with that. I mean, the argument would be, are these players learning how to play a full 90 minute and manage an actual soccer game? Probably not. Right. But there's other pieces that they're learning that will help them at the next level. So um, in terms of players, I think Macy Bell, I mean, sticking with UNC, I think they're I mean, listen, Stanford, there's some phenomenal players and they're going in to this next camp and it'll be about maturing and growth. But the ones I saw a lot, Macy Bell, I think could potentially make a huge impact right away on the back line at the next level. And one player in particular that I'm interested in is the midfielder, Brianna Pinto. Um, you know, her skill set's interesting as a midfielder and she's one of those ones I'd put in needs to understand how to manage the game a little bit better, mm-hmm. but I'll be excited to see what she can do um, if she can kind of handle, handle and manage the game. So, yeah, she- I like that. You've talked a lot about, per- we've
3: talked about personality and kind of seeing these personalities shine. And do you think that, The Women's World Cup this year kind of impacted that. Do you think that's carrying over any to the college level that we're seeing any like since on the national team, you're seeing more personality shine that that's kind of bleeding over? Yeah, and I think we're seeing that in
4: society as well. Like Mm -hmm. women, like enough's enough, right? Like (laughs) what the hell have we been doing? Or like, well, not what what have we been doing? You can tell, societally, like patriarchy (laughs) and like (laughs) keeping us quiet, right? And I think it's just like uh, it's like, listen, I want to express how I feel about this game and my emotions, and you know, I think hearing. You know, Megan's blown up, um, Rapino's blown up with all the awards, and today just came out that she was Sports Illustrated's um, Sports Person of the Year, which is phenomenal. But I think one thing that stuck with me the most out of that World Cup was actually after that Thailand game, right? It was like, you want to criticize us for how many goals we scored, you want to criticize us for how we celebrate goals, but the matter of fact is, this isn't just like a three-week period or a year-long lead-up to, to us, like, winning these games or we're building up to that first game in the World Cup, right? This is like lifetime dreams of players. Some of these players, it's their first time, right? You're playing in a national championship last night. You save a what ended up being a game-winning penalty kick. You're going to celebrate that. Celebrate it how you want, right? I mean, go back to like the celebration of, excuse me if I forget, was it the Nigerian players? And, yeah. Yeah, right? Like we want to criticize how their culture and how they, how they show emotion, right? There's no one way. So it's like, enough show emotion yeah and like enjoy and be proud of what you're bringing to the yeah what's
3: the biggest change that you've noticed from When So you were in the played in the 2011 World Cup. So what is about the culture of the team? I was talking with Ashlyn and Allie earlier, I think last month at the Athlete Ally Awards, and they were talking about how much the culture of the team has really changed in recent years and how much, you know, Ashlyn in particular was talking about how much more comfortable she is being herself and, you know, kind of being out front. Did you feel when you were back on the team, did you feel comfortable being yourself and being open and showing your personality and your individuality? Or did even in 2011,
4: did you feel the need to kind of
3: maybe conform a little bit more?
4: Yeah, great question. Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think what sometimes people may realize or may not realize is that it's a tough environment, not only because it's so competitive on the field and vying for spots, but it is quite frankly, one of the only ways to make money as a women's soccer player. Right. And you can make that argument really like around the world. Right. And so it can be kind of a fear driven environment because you don't want to lose your spot. Right. So there's natural conformity to that in terms of like, uh, okay, I'm going to keep my mouth shut (laughs) because I want to be on this team. Right. And I mean, and Megan's a great example. She kneels, right, in support of Ka- Kaepernick. And honestly, it was like six months before she was brought back in, right? right? She didn't play in the 2017 She Believes Cup. It's like it's – so it's like – and Megan is, I think, an interesting – want to talk about in that because if it's somebody else that didn't have the, the skill set or the high ceiling that Megan does as a player, then I don't think we'd see them back. Right. right? And so, so there's this natural of like, eh, okay, I'm not going to speak my truth. So I did feel that right. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think the leadership has changed a bit too. Not that it was, I mean, we've had, I mean, we always had to speak about, thing about Julie and Mia and Brandy and Christine, Lilly, all those players who us, because they are the ones that like, got it right and understood like how to push the team forward in a thoughtful way at the time and that's why all of us have had the opportunity to like be where we are Mm -hmm. and use the platform now i think what has changed though is that the team i think because of where the equal play and equal pay all Mm -hmm. of that stuff the team has really under they understood that hey Like we need to come together. Right. And I think there are some middle years where it wasn't necessarily that was had to be the case. It was like everyone's playing. You always understand like this team is about winning. It is always the driving force. Right. It is so competitive between the players. But I think there's a shift you could feel this year about just the understanding of like what this would mean to win. And so I and I also think. I have to give credit to to Megan and some of those other players that like really kind of were like a wonderful, thoughtful spokes or leaders of the team. And the message message was very clear. It wasn't like a top down like this is how I'm the leader of this team, right? It was very much like always like this is what we believe in. This is where we're going, and it's really important. We always want to win, but. Yeah, (laughs) even more massive right now. Right. With everything that's going on.
3: Yeah, it's literally
4: not just about us. I I was hoping trying to like formulate in my head as we go, because no, I think that's a
3: great answer, because I think what I think a lot of times in women's sports, like once the or I think probably in any field, like once the barrier gets broken, it's so easy to think that it wasn't hard to do. Do you know what I mean? Like kind like you people lose sight of the risk that Megan took when she started to come forward like because now it's turned out so well for her. So people are just like, "Oh, this was easy." But the truth is, that's never there's so much more to it and like you said, the stakes are so high especially on the national team. And when you were and like you said, I also want I mean, it's not about I don't think putting down the leaders of the past it's just about like kind of embracing that evolution right and so it's like passing the baton and you hope that like each kind of leadership group is going to push you forward a little
4: bit more and, and, and that's a good point because I was actually just going to add on to that is that yeah and I, I said Megan's name quite a bit too because she was actually the one that was vocal but you have the Becky Sauerbruns behind the scene and I think the difference is in this context that those players have multiple years now underneath them in terms of like their experience and they just care there's just there felt like, right, even more selflessness, they understood the even bigger picture that was needed. So it was really about rallying the team and getting all 23 players on that same page, where I think in the more recent years, that wasn't a necessity. But that just wasn't had to be the total focal point, right? Yeah.
3: And I know you probably wouldn't say this, but you've been a big part of that journey, too, is I understand you were kind of the one who talked to Megan about coming out because you came out before the 2012 games, right? I mean, I should take all the credit. So. Yes. I would like, to
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think how that really came out is that like, for, if we're just talking about myself and Megan, like we were out, right. Everybody knew it. It just wasn't out publicly. And then Megan blew up at the 2011 world cup and her agent had approached about Outsport or out magazine, wanting to do an article on her. I'm like, do this, right. Do this for sure. Like, this is your opportunity. I mean, I would do it, but like Oh, magazine's not asking me, here. <laughs> um, which I should be talking to them about. But
3: um, yeah, uh, they missed a chance there. Yeah.
4: <laughs> matter of fact, I'm actually pissed now. So I think that is the biggest turning point because there's, there's such a freedom to that, right? There's such a freedom to, to really like living your truth. And I, we saw that, like we saw Megan be a breakout star in the 2011 World Cup off the bench, and then 2012 she blew up, and we haven't looked back then, right? So. <laughs> Like, we, we have no choice. She's just taking over. Yeah. Is, I think it's just remarkable.
3: So. And Lori, thank you so much for being with, the, with us today. And we will have to have you back very soon because I have a billion yeah, questions. <laughs> this you, is, bye. Thank you.
1: Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment that we like to call the burn pile, where we pile up all the things we've hated in sports and set them aflame. I'm going to go first this week because mine's on the lighter side and I'm in charge and it's hard to be on the lighter side at the end of the profile. <laughs> <laughs> but this yeah, is such a good yeah I've been in that ex- position sometimes I know I know I was thinking of you this is like such a good example of the terrible gendered way we as a society often talk about sports okay so Skip Bayless like I feel like I should we should Ew, just shout just burn stop there yeah. Name. <laughs> yeah burn burn, <laughs> burn. Okay, Wait, are we not done <laughs> Okay, so Skip Bayless, the screaming head from ESPN originally, I think he's now at Fox, I think that's right. Okay, his wife, Ernestine Sclafani, has a new book called, and I promise you I'm not lying, it's called Balls. The full title, though, is Balls, How to Keep Your Relationship Alive When You Live with a Sports-Obsessed Guy. Ugh, The subtitle alone makes me want to groan. I just did. Uh, But here is the description on her publisher's website. Quote, you knew it when you married him. Maybe you thought he'd grow, mature, or even evolve. He didn't. The young sports fan you dated is now the old sports fan you married. (laughs) It's uh, Okay. It goes on to say (laughs) in the description that the book is a look into the lives of Bayless and Sclafani um, and a how-to on making relationships work with a sports-obsessed man. Their advice includes, quote, how to prioritize your free time together, avoiding sports jinxes and superstitions, keeping a game-day swear jar, finding parts of the game to enjoy when you don't like sports, what not to say when their team loses, and most importantly, the art of compromising. Okay, sure. So Sclefani did an interview about the book in which she explained why she wanted to write this book. Quote, I thought... Well, there's something for a book not to teach women about sports because I don't care about the 40-yard line. I don't care about any of the rules. Mine would be the tips on how I've kept my relationship alive. Also, quote, It's just a craziness that the more I started getting into it, I saw this whole different world guys live in. Because it becomes a religion and it becomes larger than life and they talk about it like, they talk about their team like we won, as if they played on the team. I find it very funny. Spofani also says, You don't have to read the book if it doesn't relate to your life, and that's true. I'm sure there are plenty of hetero women that see themselves in this description of Bayless and Sclafani's relationship, and I'm not going to argue for over-the-top fan behavior. But still, this is an exhausting book to read about outside of its amazingly great name. I'm here for balls. I mean, this is all – like it almost reads as a parody, right? Because of how easily it just slots like right into these old gross stereotypes that we have about who watches and cares about sports, namely that women don't. And that the men who do are absolutely the worst. It's unoriginal and it will, for that exact reason, sell books. And for that, I want to burn balls.
4: Burn. burn. <laughs> burn.
1: <laughs> all right, Lindsay, what are you burning? Okay, I'm
3: burning – okay, I'm going to be honest and say I do not know how to pronounce her last name, and I do not feel bad about it for once. Kelly Loeffler (laughs) (laughs) – Loeffler, um, the co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, who will be the next – Republican senator in the state of Georgia. So the way this worked is the current Republican senator, one of the current Republican senators in Georgia, stepped down due to health issues. So the governor got to appoint someone. So Kelly will be the senator has been appointed. It's official. She'll be sworn in soon. And she'll be the senator. And then there'll be a special election in November, next November. So this is the definition of like fembot white feminism. Like I just like every single thing I've learned about her is just more infuriating than the last. So she was not much has been known about her political leanings. I guess it was well known that she donated to Republican causes. though so I didn't even really know that. Like I didn't know much about her until these past couple of weeks. But she she hadn't talked much about her own political beliefs. But because of her association with the WNBA, which is, of course, pretty progressive, a lot of the people on the right were criticizing this choice, saying that she wasn't conservative enough. So that means that she has spent this week saying, reiterating over and over again... In the Senate, I will proudly fight for the unborn because every life is a blessing for God. She has been expressing her support for the border wall. She has been talking about how pro-Second Amendment she is. And she has been saying things like, make America great again. This is infuriating. She has $500 million, it seems like, between her and her husband. So her campaign for the special election should be pretty well funded by them. And uh, it makes me just wonder about how power works. It makes me curious how the players feel about this, how those who work with her feel about this, how her going so public with her beliefs is going to change the dynamics. And how, you know, even in a league that we do think of as progressive, that as a league has sent out support supportive statements for Planned Parenthood and, and had very stepped up for a lot of causes, we don't know who is behind the scenes in every single team making the decisions. And we don't know the many ways that racism and sexism and uh, homophobia are being perpetuated, even by people in positions of power within these teams and within the league and This whole thing kind of makes me sick, and I just feel for the dream players who don't deserve this. And I want to throw it on the burn pile. Burn. Burn.
1: Amira?
2: Yeah, so just mentioned at the top of the show the 49ers and Ravens game. And that's also where I want to return for my Burn. And then I, of course, am talking about 49ers color commentator Tim Ryan's comments about why Lamar Jackson is so good at handoffs. If you don't know, apparently it's because when you, quote, consider his dark skin with a dark football with a dark uniform, you could not see that thing at all. That's right. Lamar Jackson is good at handoffs because the ball just gets camouflaged by his blackness. Um, I can't deal with this. It's just so interesting to watch Lamar Jackson do what Black quarterbacks have done for people for generations, which is absolutely befuddle them. This is somebody who was passed off on by 28 teams, where teams considered him a project that they would have to work on and convert to a wide receiver. This is, you know, somebody who is currently on pace to be the MVP this season, if I had a vote, who is shattering records, who is filling out highlight reels because he's absolutely phenomenal. He's second in the league in passing touchdown. He is the fourth highest passer rating. He's only thrown four interceptions all year. All year. But the key to his success is not all that. It is his blackness that covers the ball so you can't see it. It's a trickery of your eyes. Yeah, no, it's just bullshit. Uh, Ryan's apologized. They suspended him. You know, the world moves on. What's a little racism on a Thursday or a Sunday or whatever day of the week it is? A day ending in Y. I just want to burn it down and the continued foolery that comes with watching Lamar Jackson's excellent. It's dumb. It's racist. There's there's no place for it anywhere. And he's good at handoffs because he's damn good at football. And I want to burn anything to the contrary of that. Burn. Burn.
1: After all that burning, it's time to celebrate some remarkable women in sports this week with our badass woman of the week segment. First up, are honorable mentions. Megan Rapinoe won the Ballon d'Or, given out annually by the France Football Magazine to the world's best soccer player. This is the second year they've included women in the award, despite handing out awards since 1956. Lucy Bronze was second in voting Alex Morgan third. The Guardian named Sam Kerr, their number one overall player in women's soccer in 2019. Lucy Bronze, Megan Rapinoe, Ada Hergerberg, and Amadine Henri rounded out the top five. Congratulations to Washington State, North Carolina, Stanford, and UCLA for being the last four teams standing in women's collegiate soccer this year. And as Amira pointed out to me, Washington State in particular, for making their first ever College Cup appearance, they went on a historic run for their program all the way to the semifinals. Congratulations to Anne Van Dam, a golfer from the Netherlands who won the Andalusia Costa del Sol Open de España for the second straight year. Congratulations to 11-year-old Charlotte Nabrace, who was cast as the first Black Marie for the New York City Ballet's production of The Nutcracker. Asako Takakura has been named Coach of the Year by the Asian Football Confederation. The head of Nadeshko Women's Soccer has contributed greatly to the sport, and this honor is well-deserved. We're looking forward to golfer Michelle Wee's insights during next year's Masters. This week, CBS announced that Wee is joining their lineup for this upcoming golf season. Rayadas de Monterey defeated the Tigres UANL to win the Liga MX Femenil. Diana Evangelista scored the only goal of the match. Congratulations to Lauren Gibbs and former Team Canada star Kaylee Humphreys on their World Cup victory for Team USA in the bobsled. Lauren Holtkamp-Sterling became the first mom to officiate an NBA game when she refed the Golden State Warriors-Chicago Bulls game this past week. Shahida Abbasi, a Pakistani athlete from Hazara, won a gold medal in karate at the South Asian Games in Nepal, making her community and country proud. Can I get a drum roll, please? All right. Yep. <laughs> Our badass woman of the week is Becca Myers, who broke the S12 400 IM world record at the U.S. Paralympic National Championships this week. The 400 IM is the butterfly breaststroke and freestyle it's considered a particularly brutal swimming race because of the combination of speed and endurance that it takes to swim it and i think that's clear in the fact that this record stood for 29 years before myers broke it uh she was and she was 12 seconds faster when she came in at 5 minutes 17 seconds that's an amazing crushing of a really difficult record that stood for a really long time so becca myers you are our badass woman of the week Okay. Let's talk about what's good in our world. And I I can't say too much about this right now uh, publicly, but I got to do this really cool, fun thing this week. I actually did a little acting in a couple oh. music videos for a friend of mine. It comes. The videos I think are coming out in February or March. He has a new album coming out next year and I'll be blasting it everywhere at that point. I had never done... Anything like this before, I learned a lot of lingo, like that o t s is over the shoulder and to like get in position with a yell first position, and there were all these it was all very new to me and very exciting, and I just had a lot of fun, so that was very good and fun for me this week. Lindsay, what's good with you?
3: Yeah, I am going to San Francisco this week, so I've never been to Bye. San Francisco yes. before, oh, never oh, been to the yay. Bay area and me. I'm going for a couple days for the Substack Fellowship. They're flying me out there, which I'm so excited to meet. Every all the other fellowship uh, recipients, and you know, do a lot of you know meet a lot of inspiring people, and then a friend and I are just uh, you know renting uh, Airbnb place since we're going to be out there for the first time, and going to spend a few days in the Bay Area. So hit me up if you're in that area. I'm going to be trying to do some reporting and you know meet some people in the field, and then just kind of hopefully do some sightseeing and also somehow get out three power newsletters next week. We'll see how all this all works, (laughs) but uh, I'm excited. I can't wait. I've, yeah, like I said, I've never been, so this should be really fun.
1: Yeah, that
2: sounds great. Amira? Yeah, so I'm I'm back from Texas, which was lovely and warm. Oh, I'm missing the 75 degrees.
3: <laughs> Amira, your stories were amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All of those kids. Oh, oh my, my god, gosh. yeah.
2: It's always fun to be home. We had my my little cousins and we're running around with the kids and my nieces and we played cards. Uh, me and my brother beat my parents a few times and we think caused their divorce I mean they're not divorced but they look like on the verge because uh, that's what happens when I was you like, get set uh, I
3: was like oh I get Amira now <laughs> <like a> <laughs> <than
0: this. laughs>
2: They're very competitive. <laughs> We're all very competitive, <laughs> including my. You know, I got to spend time with my little cousin Alexis, um, who is on the verge of her return to women's college ball. Look out, world! I'm very excited, but that's exactly the case in point. We all went out and played basketball, and like. I ended up stopping to play and just like decided to full time make sure she didn't get hurt because my brothers could not understand. Like they were just big cousins. And I was like, stop hacking her. Like she actually has (laughs) like a career to worry about. Like you guys are bums. Like leave her alone. But yeah, our family has Uh, very like no no sense of like levels to this. There's no off switch. There's no off (laughs) switch. So that was fun. We had a really hard time getting home, like multiple canceled flights and all this. But we did make it home. So we didn't have to spend Jackson's birthday party at the airport, which we've done before. So I want to say happy birthday to my darling seven year old Jackson. He's just just the sweetest kid. And so we had his party yesterday. They built Rockets at Discovery Space. It was all very fun. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's really cool. And inside, and I don't have to do anything, which is why I like it. It's cool. I just go.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I understand. And, yes.
2: So <laughs> it was it was really nice. And also, it's a big week for Samari. This is the one week of the year where she's in multiple productions. Um, and She goes back to D.C. to perform for her old theater company, Imagination Stage, and the gala there. And she's also... Currently playing Donkey in Shrek Jr. and is also starring in Bye Bye Birdie. So this week she had rehearsals for three different productions concurrently and somehow made it through, had a wonderful show. I stage and you know it's wonderful to watch her on stage so it was a lot of family time a lot of family things and now I'm looking forward to getting in bed and curling up with um, children of virtue and vengeance which just came out I was wondering if Aiden had it yet (laughs) so I'm getting in bed and I'm reading young adult (laughs) fantasy novels because that's my thing and my room is warm so that's what's good for me
1: I love it That's it for this week's episode. Thank you all for joining us. You can find Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn. For more information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You can also email us from the site to give us feedback. We love hearing from you all. If you enjoyed this week's show, do me a favor. Share it with two people in your life whom you think would be interested in Burn It All Down. Also, please rate the show at whichever place you listen to it. The ratings really do help us reach new listeners who need this feminist sports podcast but don't yet know it exists. If you are interested in Burn It All Down merchandise, pillows, blankets, hoodies, t-shirts, tote bags, those kind of things, check out our Teespring store from now until the end of the year, use the promo code HOLIDAYS, and get 10% off your order. One more thank you to our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com slash burn it all down. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash burn it all down. That's it from us. Until next week, burn on, not out.